Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, my name is Julie Fink with the Front Porch People. We'd like to thank Visible Voice Books for sponsoring the Novel Conversations giveaway, which gives listeners a chance to win all eight classic novels featured in our third season. Visible Voice Books is our local go-to for delving into our favorite books in a relaxed, inviting environment. And if you're not here in Cleveland, Ohio, you can always support Visible Voice Books by shopping online at visiblevoicebooks.com. Hello and welcome. I'm Frank Lavallo, and this is Novel Conversations. This week's Novel Conversation is about the novel Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. And I'm joined in my conversation by our Novel Conversations readers, Jennifer Weinbrecht and Pat Fernberg. Jennifer, Pat, welcome. Hi, Frank. It's fun to be here, Frank. As you know, Mansfield Park was published in 1814, and it was Jane Austen's third published novel. Mansfield Park is set in the English countryside of the early 1800s, and it's the story of Fanny Price. Fanny is the poor relation of the Bertrams of Mansfield Park. Sent to live at Mansfield Park with Sir Thomas Bertram and his family when she's about nine, ten years old, Fanny grows up with her cousins, learning sense, sensibility, pride, and yes, even a little bit of prejudice. How Fanny becomes a young woman beloved by her relations, indispensable to her family, and eventually maybe even mistress of Mansfield Park, makes up our story by Jane Austen. So Jennifer, Pat, to me, this third novel of Jane Austen is really a much bigger book than her first two novels, Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice. More characters, more scenes, more travel, more relationships. Pat, would you agree with me? Yes, it's very dense in terms of the interrelationships of activities and people. And it's also a very internal book. A great deal of the action is inside of people, what they think, what they feel, what they do. Particularly our main character, Fanny Price. In particular, Fanny Price, a lot of her conversation is actually an internal conversation. It's a soliloquy where she turns things over in her head and evaluates them and then makes judgments from those evaluations. Jennifer? There are a lot of intricacies in the relationships between people in this book that are layered. There are people watching each other all the time, observing each other, deceiving each other. In a way, it's almost a darker book than the other books. It is. Everybody holds their real opinions close to the vest. But that part's not really different from some of her earlier novels. Well, but I think a lot of the judgments are wrong that people make about what other people are thinking and feeling. And they unfortunately act on those wrong judgments. I think there's a sort of underlying lack of principle in a lot of the characters here that is really emphasized in this book. And some of the conversations are very witty and entertaining. And we like this person while they're talking. We like being with them. But they turn out to be some of the most unprincipled people in the book. I also felt through the characters of Lady Bertram and Sir Thomas Bertram, we got a better understanding or at least a glimpse into parental relationships with their children, how they reared their children, the kind of interest they took into their kids. I thought that was a little bit different than from the earlier novels. 
A lot of the family relationships are in many ways dysfunctional. We learn a lot about responsibility of being a parent, being a spouse, being a sister. The older generation's relationships and how they deal with their children really sets the tone for the novel. The very first chapter tells us really the story of the whole novel, and it tells us that through the sort of ill judgments and personality problems of the older generation. All right, Jennifer, you said that the whole novel really is contained in this first chapter. So why don't you get us started and tell me a little bit about that first chapter and who we meet. Well, in the first chapter, we're introduced right away to three Ward sisters. Miss Mariah Ward, the middle sister, captivates the attention of a baronet and doesn't really deserve that by her fortune or her situation in life. We learn that her most important relative is just a country attorney. But her most important attribute is she's pretty. She's beautiful. Her older sister never finds a good husband. And actually, Mariah Ward's husband, Sir Thomas Bertram, patches up a marriage for her with a clergyman and gives him a living. So she's dependent on her younger sister for her living the rest of her life. And for the rest of our novel, that's Mrs. Norris. Mrs. Norris, Aunt Norris. And the youngest sister runs off in a fit of passion, I suppose, with a 'er ne'er-do-well lieutenant of the Marines. We find out that she has a lot of children and lives in poverty. And Pat, as we start the novel, Lady Bertram and her sister, Mrs. Norris, have come up with a plan to help out their other sister and relieve her of one of her children. Right. The Prices have nine children, so they come up with a decision to take the oldest girl. And that would be Fanny Price. That would be Fanny, who is about nine or ten. So this is Aunt Norris's grand plan, but she sort of pushes it off onto the Bertrams, Sir and Lady Bertram. Exactly. But the possibility of this young girl coming to the manor house at Mansfield Park is of concern to Sir Thomas Bertram. He's worried about how the distinction will be made between his own daughters and Fanny Price, that she doesn't think that she's as important as they are. But more than that, he's worried that one of the boys will fall in love with Fanny, and of course that would be completely inappropriate. He's probably thinking that he's going to make matches for his sons with women of fortune, and Fanny will have no fortune except what he can provide her. So she's already coming to the manor house with a couple of strikes against her. The father doesn't want her getting too close to his children. The aunt doesn't really want her at all, just will tolerate her. And she misses her brothers and sisters. She's used to being sort of the little mother in the house, and now she's completely alone at 9 or 10. And as the story unfolds, you begin to suspect that Mrs. Norris only brought Fanny there so that she could have someone lower than herself, someone to abuse And that's exactly what happens. Let's get Fanny to the house at Mansfield Park, and she meets her other cousins. As you said, Sir and Lady Bertram have two sons and two daughters. The two daughters are Mariah and Julia. Mariah is the older girl, and Tom, the oldest son, and the heir to the family estate, and Edmund, who is a quieter, a little more introspective kid. Mariah and Julia are just a couple years older than Fanny. I think Julia is a year or two older, and Mariah is maybe a year or two older than Julia. They right away think that Fanny is ignorant and stupid because she doesn't have the education and background and clothes and everything else that they have. Right. Even if they're close in age, they're really from worlds apart. And rather than see that the way they should, they see it as her being stupid. For example, one of the sisters tells her mother, Only think, my cousin cannot put the map of Europe together, or my cousin cannot tell the principal rivers in Russia. She never heard of Asia Minor. She does not know the difference between watercolors and crayons. How strange. Did you ever hear anything so stupid? And the girl goes on and says, do you know she says she doesn't want to learn either music or drawing? She's so odd and stupid. And they consider her frail and even somewhat sickly? Yes. 
But when Edmund's home from Oxford for the holidays, he notices Fanny crying, and he takes pity on her and talks to her and becomes her friend immediately. Tell me a little bit more about Edmund. He's the younger son. Yes, and he is destined for the clergy because younger sons must have something to do to make a living. He's very studious, very quiet, very serious young man. But he finds Annie crying, missing her brother, William. She and William were the oldest of the children, and they were the big brother or big sister that took care of everybody. And Edmund helps her by getting her some paper and pencil and posting a letter to William, who was away at sea. He had joined the Navy with Sir Thomas's assistance, which boys did then at the age of 12. Yes, he became a midshipman. And that's the beginning of Fanny's comfort and establishment at Mansfield Park. She can finally settle down and feel good about things. And really, this is the first attempt that any of the Bertram children have made to understand what Fanny's experiencing and going through in these first few weeks at Mansfield Park. Exactly. And he does develop into an ally for her. He is a constant advocate for Fanny, and he teaches her to ride, and he encourages to go out and get fresh air and sunshine and to be a little more open about what she wants. And she shares the governess that the girls have, and she does become educated, but Edmund directs her reading and actually forms her mind. He forms her opinions. He forms her ideas. And then, Pat, essentially, in the very next chapter, Jane Austen moves us on about five years in the life of Fanny and her cousins. Yes, her cousins are adults now. They're on the town. Fanny is 18. Fanny is 18. Edmund is going off to Oxford to complete his education as a clergyman and to prepare for taking orders. Tom has gone off to the town. Tom is the older son, and he is living a life of great fun. Well, that's because he's the one who's going to inherit all the money, and he knows that. Exactly. His father has been trying to teach him to manage the property. Tom is easily distracted by friends, by partying, by gambling and drinking and wildlife. So Sir Thomas comes up with a plan to get his son away from the gambling, the friends, the drinking. Yeah, Sir Thomas has to go to Antigua in business because there's some problems with the plantations that he owns there, and he takes Tom with him. It's quite a long voyage in those days. I think the original plan is that they're going to be away about three to five months. Something like that, yes. But it does stretch out to almost a year, a year and a half. It does. And it's while Sir Thomas is away in Antigua that some interesting people start showing up at Mansfield Park. The oldest daughter, Mariah, has become engaged to a young man of property named Mr. Rushworth. Yes, Mrs. Norris works really hard to cement a relationship with the Rushworths, Mrs. Rushworth and her rich son, Mr. Rushworth, because she sees some attraction there between him and Mariah, the oldest daughter, although it's all one-sided. Yeah, but Pat, the real attraction is he's got 20,000 pounds. He's not terribly bright. He's not terribly charming. He doesn't have a lot going for him except for those 20,000 pounds. And a house in London. And the house in London, yes. Does Ann Norris succeed in getting them engaged? Yes, she does, and she's very proud of it. Well, Jennifer, it's not just the Rushworths who are new to the Mansfield Park area. There's also the Grants. Yes. When Mr. Norris died, a Dr. Grant came in and purchased the living at Mansfield. And he and his wife, Mrs. Grant, are living there in the Parsonage House. And then her half-sister and brother come to visit, Henry Crawford and Mary Crawford. Pat, tell me a little bit about Mary Crawford. She's pretty, she's frivolous, she's charming, she is accomplished in all the usual ways. She's sophisticated. She has all that town polish on her. Jennifer, this is the kind of character Jane Austen likes to create to take down. Mary Crawford is going to fall in our opinions pretty hard at the end of the book, but there's a lot of mixed feelings about Mary. We like her most of the time. And her brother, Henry. How do we feel about Henry? 
Henry is also very spoiled, very worldly, and he's a little bit of a libertine. He likes to flirt with women. He likes to attach them, but he has no intentions of marrying. Both these young people are very intelligent. Henry's a great speaker. He's a great reader. He has so much charm. And he's so charming. He is. And sure enough, what happens with Henry? Henry charms the two Bertram sisters. He flirts with both of them. He flirts with both of them at the same time. And this creates a very terrible rivalry between the sisters. They've always been close friends, and now they're enemies. And Miss Crawford is not inactive during this time. No, Miss Crawford has decided that she's attracted to Edmund, and she manages to fix her interest with Edmund pretty quickly. He's completely captivated by her. But almost from the beginning of this relationship, we know that Mary Crawford has a problem with Edmund's future. Well, at some point, she does find out that he's going to be a clergyman, and she just despises clergymen. Because? She finds them... Poor. Yes. <laughs> but, but it's not just poverty. You could be a wealthy clergyman, and she would still despise them. You know, she asked Edmund, why couldn't you go into the military? Why couldn't you go into the law? She's looking for some kind of prestige there. She also considers them stodgy and somber. She really doesn't have the temperament for it, and she knows it. Now, let's not forget, she's living with her sister, who is married to Dr. Grant, a clergyman. So she's seeing a clergyman's life up close. Yes. And Dr. Grant is probably not the best example of a clergyman. And certainly probably Mr. Norris, the former clergyman, would not have been a good example either. Apparently not. All right, well, let me ask you both. During all of this flirting and beginning relationships between the cousins and the Crawfords, what's going on with Fanny at this time? She's doing a lot of observing. There's a really interesting scene where she watches Mary Crawford learn to ride a horse, for example. She's waiting for the horse. It's actually her horse. Yeah, Edmund gave Mary Fanny's horse to learn on. Right, and Fanny's being scolded by Mrs. Norris because she's not out riding yet, so she's standing up at the top of the hill watching, and she observes Henry Crawford flirt with the two sisters. She seems to be the only one who sees what's going on. Is anybody flirting with her? Not yet. But she's also noticing that Edmund, whom she is beginning to love in ways that are very different from a brother, is attracted to Mary, and she can't see why. It's at this point, this group of young people come up with an idea from the Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland <laughs> movies. Hey, let's put on a show. But actually, that's what these young people decide. They're going to put on a theatrical at Mansfield Park. Yes. It was a common way of spending an evening. But this plan goes beyond, hey, let's just put on a show. They have architects come in and build a stage. They run out and buy fabric. And Mrs. Norris is busy making up this curtain. And, by the way, making sure that she never puts too much fabric into the curtain. And they have a specific play they're going to do. Jane Austen's audience would have known this play. It's called Lover's Vows. Yes. Yes, and this play has a lot of opportunity in it for men and women to have a lot of physical contact with each other. And actually, that's why both Edmund and Fanny have a bit of a problem with this group putting on this play. Well, there's more than that, too. Sir Thomas is a very conservative patriarch, and he would not have allowed a play like this if he'd been around. And of course, he's across the waters, maybe in some danger. It's not a very good time to do this. And Mariah is engaged, so it's not a good idea for her to be flirting with men on stage. You know, the play allows people to do things that they wouldn't do in everyday life. And Edmund resists as long as possible, but the problem is that he sees an opportunity and Fanny is appalled that Edmund would allow himself to be lured to the dark side there. Well, Edmund breaks down because he can't stand the thought of someone else playing a lover across from Mary Crawford. That's what really <laughs> brings him over to the dark side. And Fanny knows that this is not going to go well. How does the play go? Well, they're practicing all the time, and they're going to have their first run of the show. Opening night. 
And Sir Thomas arrives right in the middle of this. Uh-oh, dad's home. Uh-oh. The younger generation immediately understands what this means, except for their visitor, Mr. Yates. He doesn't know Sir Thomas. So they don't tell him what's going on right away. They all gather together and, know, oh, hi, Dad, it's so good to see you. And he's kind of the star of the show. And then he says, you know, I've told all my stories. I've explained my passage home. Now I want to go to my room. And when he goes to his office, the bookshelf is moved. There's a door open. He walks through the door and finds himself on the stage. They turned his study into the stage? And here's Mr. Yates carrying on. He's playing the part of the Baron, and he's <laughs> ranting on the stage. And Tom has walked in the other door of the billiard room just in time to catch the look on his father's face, his shock, his surprise, and Yates standing there ranting. It's a great moment in the book. Actually, it's several great moments. Jane Austen spends almost 60 pages preparing us for this play that is then quickly interrupted by Sir Thomas's arrival home. And by the end of the next day, the stage is dismantled, and any copy of Lover's Vows that Sir Thomas finds around the house is immediately tossed into the fire. But actually, Sir Thomas's return is good news for Mariah. If her marriage is good news, Sir Thomas's return means that she can get married. Well, isn't it good news? Well, she's captivated by Henry Crawford. All of a sudden, she's not all that interested in being the wife of a large estate. estate. Henry Crawford has been paying so much attention to her during this play, and he sent her all kinds of signals. She's convinced that he's going to propose at any minute, so she's not bothering to even worry about Mr. Rushworth being jealous anymore. But he doesn't. Henry leaves the very next day. And at this point, her father gets to know Mr. Rushworth. He realizes he's adult, and he has an interview with Mariah, and he asks her, are you sure you want to marry this man? It would be embarrassing, but we can break the engagement, and I'll handle it for you. And she's bitter, her feelings are hurt, and she says, no, I'm going to marry him. The sooner the better. And that's in fact what they do. They get married. Exactly. And Mr. Rushworth takes Mariah, and they go to his estate. They take off for Brighton, sort of a honeymoon. They take Julia along with them, which seems strange to us. Take your sister on a honeymoon. But Sir Thomas does think it's best for both sisters. And they're going to settle in London, so this will be good exposure for Julia. Yes. She's never seen London. I think it's just that Mariah needs a companion because Mr. Rushworth is not much of a companion. But it's not just the two girls who leave Mansfield Park. No. Tom takes off for London to party. In other words, act like an eldest son. Exactly. And Edmund goes to Thornton Lacey, where he is essentially trained and takes orders as a clergyman. And Thornton Lacey is going to be his parish. Yes. And Fanny is left alone as the center of attention now at Mansfield Park. She's the only young person left. Now the Crawfords come to visit, and Henry begins to pay attentions to Fanny. Well, sure, Julia's gone, Mariah's gone, he's got to flirt with somebody. Actually, he tells his sister Mary, I'm going to put a hole in Fanny Price's heart. The cad. He wants her to fall in love with him. He wants to hurt her. That's the kind of man he is. And Mary says, please don't hurt her too bad, because I've never known anyone so sweet and such an innocent girl. But then she sort of laughs it off. She doesn't really do much to protect Fanny. He says his whole goal is to make Fanny Price love him a little bit. But then he describes what a little bit means, and it's to pine after him when he's gone. And he really wants to excite interest in her, as he's done probably with many women, not just Mariah and Julia. We have the feeling that he's kind of a repeat offender with this. A serial flirter. Yes. yes. But his plan sort of backfires on him. And he actually tells his sister, I'm going to marry Fanny Price. How about Fanny Price? Is she falling in love? No, she doesn't want anything to do with him, and she does everything she can to avoid him, discourage to discourage him. conversation, or to discourage any activity that involves him. Well, she's convinced that his flirtations are not serious. She's convinced that he's playing with her, even when he's got beyond that, and now he begins to worship her. 
But everyone in our novel believes that Fanny does have some affection for Henry Crawford, except, of course, Fanny, and we know that. Fanny seldom expresses an opinion. When he's around, she's naturally very timid. She blushes a great deal. She looks away. And in some quarters, that would be seen as encouragement. It's a modest, kind girl not allowing herself to be swept away. We have to remember that she's been told by Mrs. Norris since she was 10 years old, you always are lowest and last. You are nothing. And she has a habit of being so subservient. She's actually treated worse than the servants by her Aunt Norris, who's always running off doing little kind things for some of the servants, and yet she never has a kind word for Fanny. And Sir Thomas inadvertently falls into Henry Crawford's plan by deciding to throw a ball for his niece. And actually, this is going to be the first ball at Mansfield Park. Sir Thomas invites Fanny's brother, William, to come and stay on his leave from the Navy. He watches the brother and sister enjoy each other's company, and he sees Fanny all alight. He's very interested in Fanny since he's come back from Antigua. And he's very interested in her because he sees Henry Crawford interested in her, and he's thinking, I can make a good match for Fanny. He wants to push this forward. He decides to throw a dance when he hears William say, I've never seen you dance, Fanny. But Pat, the first ball at Mansfield Park? Well, he hasn't really got the best relationship with his daughters. He's not a cruel man. He's not a mean-spirited person. He just has really no connection with his children. He's been on business back and forth all these years. It seems like his personality has changed a little bit since he came back from Antigua, though, and it's just a coincidence that it's the time when Fanny's the main child at home now that he seems to be taking more interest in his family. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, and I think a lot of it, too, is that Fanny is not boastful, she's not proud, she's not arrogant, she's not cruel. He's come to like Fanny. She's a daughter after his own heart, more so than his own daughter's. How does the dance turn out? Well, it's a wonderful time for some people, but Fanny has to lead the dance. She has to dance with Henry Crawford, of course. Edmund and Mary have some sort of a spat, and Edmund gives up all hope of Mary that night and takes off the next day on his trip to get his orders. And William has to go back the next day, so the ball ends early. She's fatigued, she's overwrought, she's overexcited, and Sir Thomas sees that and sends her off to bed early. Partly to show Henry Crawford how easy it is to boss her around. She will be an amiable wife. Yes. Yes, complacent. And that's what Henry Crawford decides. He decides he wants Fanny to be his wife. He proposes. First, he takes William to London to meet his uncle, the Admiral, and actually arranges for William's lieutenancy to be made, which absolutely thrills Fanny. He delivers the news to her, and as soon as he has her heart all aflutter, she's so excited, oh, you did this for my brother, that's when he proposes. And Fanny accepts? No. But for Sir Thomas, and especially Aunt Norris, this is not the end of this conversation. Sir Thomas goes to Fanny's East Room where she sits alone a lot, and he scolds her. He tells her she's ungrateful. He says all sorts of cruel things to her because she refused this man. He wishes his own daughters had had such a great proposal. He makes it sound like it's her duty to accept this man, and she's really stuck here. There's two reasons she will not marry Henry Crawford. One is because she's really in love with Edmund, and she can't tell Sir Thomas that. That's a deep secret. 
The other reason is because she saw Henry Crawford's terrible behavior toward her cousins Mariah and Julia. If she tells Sir Thomas about that, she'll be betraying her cousins because it's their bad behavior she'll be telling him about. So she cannot explain herself. She's in a terrible position here. And Aunt Norris doesn't make it any easier. No, Aunt Norris bears down on her about what an ungrateful child she is and how lucky she is to have anybody propose to her. And she'll never get anyone to propose to her again because Fanny has nothing to offer. And it's at this point that Sir Thomas and Aunt Norris come up with an idea how we can show this ungrateful Fanny just what she's giving up. We're going to send her home. Sir Thomas decides that if she has some time in Portsmouth, her home where she grew up until she was 10, if she has some time there to live in poverty and see what it's really like, she'll understand the value of a proposal like Mr. Crawford's, who has an estate in the country, who will probably have a house in London. This is a wealthy man. This is a great leg up for her materially. Not only that, but I think because he does love Fanny, his feeling is that maybe if he gives her time to think, she'll change her mind. She'll see the advantages of this, and she'll see that Henry does love her. He's also a little nervous because if Fanny doesn't change her mind soon enough, Henry may find someone else. But Fanny is all for this trip back home to Portsmouth. She hasn't been home in 10 years. It's presented to her as a gift. You can go home and see your mother. And William has gotten leave again to come home. He has, I believe, 10 days. So they're going to travel to London together. And all she can see is, I have the chance to be with my brother and spend time with him. Jennifer, we keep saying Aunt Norris did this and Aunt Norris said that and Sir Thomas did this and Sir Thomas didn't like the play. We never mentioned Lady Bertram. Where was Lady Bertram while this play was going on? Where was Lady Bertram while all these guys are flirting with her daughters? Lady Bertram sits on the couch and pets her pug and sews on a fringe, and that's all she does. And Jane Austen tells us that every few chapters, Lady Bertram's on the couch. Lady Bertram was beautiful enough to attract this baronet, and she spit out some children, and that's all she had to do. But she's not an evil person. The word indolent is always connected with her. If she's not sleeping, she's sewing. If she's not sewing, she's with the pug, or she's having Fanny read to her. And she values Fanny. Oh, she's very attached to Fanny. And Aunt Norris really runs the house. This is one of Sir Thomas's faults, that he has turned the running of his house and the upbringing of his children over to this kind of evil woman. It's Lady Bertram's fault as well. She should have been more involved in the life of her children. And I think that lack of responsibility, that lack of commitment to her family speaks a lot. But, you know, when we meet Fanny's mother, we find that she has a similar temperament to Lady Bertram. Mm -hmm. She's also lazy and incompetent. But she doesn't have the luxury of being wealthy. Well, Fanny and William are both on their way to Portsmouth, and we're going to get to meet Lady Bertram's sister, Fanny's mother. Yes, and we're not very impressed. We're not. But Fanny's not sure this is home anymore. Home might just be Mansfield Park for her. This house is chaotic. It's dirty. Her mother is not affectionate toward her. Her father doesn't seem to remember her. So it's not a happy time for her. It's not the homecoming that she was looking forward to. Pat, you made an interesting comment about it almost seeming like her original journey to Mansfield Park. She's older now, but because William has suddenly been called back, as soon as they set foot out of the carriage, they find that there's someone waiting to tell William that his ship is leaving the next day. So she's again cast on her own resources. She is alone. She's pretty much friendless in this house. But she does find ways to make herself useful. She finds ways to start helping out with things. And then she becomes a teacher of her next youngest sister, Susan. She starts to teach her to read. She tells her stories about Mansfield Park. 
The way some of her older cousins originally mentored her, of course, once they established a relationship, she's now trying to mentor her sister. Yes, and I think this is the first time we really see Fanny become an independent person, and she has a voice, and she's important to somebody other than being a servant. She also makes herself useful in trying to keep her brothers in order. It doesn't always work. She's able to be a little bit of a benefactress because Sir Thomas gave her some spending money. Does she believe she's home? Once she's home, she wants to be at Mansfield Park which she now sees as her home. And finally, the entanglements from Mansfield Park follow her to Portsmouth. Well, Henry comes to visit, and he's obviously still interested in marrying her. He sees a little bit of the kind of life she's leading there, and he urges her to let him take her home at any time. He thinks he should go back to his estate in the country and do some good things there, and he wants her to tell him so. But he doesn't. He goes back to London. And once Henry Crawford leaves for London, things start to move very fast. It begins with some bad news about Tom Bertram. Tom had been partying in London with his wild friends, and he suffered a fall, and his friends abandoned him, and then he developed a fever. So Edmund had to go to London to retrieve him and bring him home. But the bad news keeps coming for Fanny. Fanny receives a very mysterious letter from Mary Crawford telling her not to believe everything you hear. Then next thing she knows, her father's reading her an article out of the paper that talks about a Mr. R and his wife running off with his good friend Mr. C. And Fanny begins to realize that Henry Crawford and Mariah, Mariah Rushworth now, have eloped. The married sister? The married, married sister. sister. The same Henry Crawford that was just here two days ago proposing? Yes. The same Henry Crawford who has declared his constancy and his love for her. Now, wait a minute. Wasn't the other sister, Julia, staying with Mrs. Rushworth, Mariah Bertram Rushworth? What happened to Julia? Well, Julia is mortified by what her sister has done. She realizes that her father will probably be more strict than ever with her now. So she elopes with Mr. Yates. Mr. Yates from the play? The man who was ranting in the theater during the play, yes. And this is all going on just as fast as we're talking about it. It's happening in the novel. Exactly. Julia and Mr. Yates have run off to Scotland. They're going to be married across the border, and then they can come back. And Julia will become Mr. Yates's problem. Her father won't be able to do anything about it. Now, through all of this mess, where's Mary Crawford and Edmund? Well, Edmund has a discussion with Mary in London. Mary says something to him that she's already alluded to in a letter to Fanny, that, you know, Tom is very ill. If Tom dies, you'll inherit. And Edmund realizes what she's saying. What is she saying? She's saying that she'll marry Edmund and be happy married to him if he's the inheritor of the estate. She also makes some comments that he shouldn't be so upset about Henry and Mariah running off together that their real mistake was in being caught. They were indiscreet. Yes, yes, and these two things just devastate Edmund. He finally sees Mary's lack of principle. Something that Fanny has seen all along. And he finally realizes he cannot marry this woman. His heart is broken. But not irreparably. No, he turns to Fanny for comfort. For comfort? He rushes off to Portsmouth to bring her home to come help with Tom and to kind of bring order and stability back to the house because Lady Bertram is upset, Sir Thomas is upset. I can only imagine how upset Aunt Norris is. <laughs> yes. Isn't she the one that got Mariah and Mr. Rushworth together in the first place? Yes. That's her crowning achievement. And of course, now Sir Thomas is really buckling down at the house. So as they ride back to Mansfield Park in the carriage, Edmund confides in Fanny about how mistaken he was in Mary and about how he doesn't know what the outcome will be with Tom. And Aunt Norris is very angry at Fanny. She feels that if Fanny had only accepted Henry Crawford, he wouldn't have run off with Mariah. And Mariah would still be happily married with Mr. Rushworth. No redemption for Aunt Norris, even at the end. No. <laughs> when Fanny hears this from Edmund, she's not heartbroken. 
no, the pathway to Edmund's heart is clear now, and she sees that she still has a chance. As readers, we've known for a while that she cares for and loves Edmund, but no one else does. Right, she's kept the secret very close to her heart. But now with Mary out of the way... Edmund really begins to see her worth and how Fanny alone has remained steadfast in her principles. And Edmund begins to realize that he does actually love Fanny. And they marry. And they don't move quite to Mansfield Park, but... Close enough. He gets the parsonage where the Grants were at Mansfield Park. And Sir Thomas has finally come to realize that Fanny is the daughter he always wanted. She is greeted as a long-lost daughter when they get back. Yes, she is. is. The little girl he tried so hard to keep away from his sons has suddenly become the great blessing in his life. Exactly. Back to our very first chapter. Right. And Mrs. Norris turns out to be such an evil thorn in his side that he packs her off with Mariah, who, you know, as a fallen, disgraced woman, can't be in society anymore. He sends her off to some far county and sets up Aunt Norris with her. It's described as an isolated house where no one comes and no one goes. (laughs) And he makes a comment where it's almost worth the loss of his daughter, Mariah, to get rid of Aunt Norris and get her out of his life. It's just horrible to think that he (laughs) felt that way. Well, we've had mixed feelings about Sir Thomas from the beginning. He's a good man. He's a likable man. But yes, he's very materialistic. And it took a lot for him to come down off of that. It did. Likable, yes. But loving, no. Mm. All right, and that is our novel of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. Now, of course, in a novel this size, we can't talk about every character and we can't talk about every event. So now is the time when I want you to share perhaps a moment that we haven't had a chance to talk about. And then if you have some favorite quotes or readings from the book, I'd also like you to share those with us. Pat, do you have something? I've always been amused by Lady Bertram. I think the entire of her character is described in one little passage here. To the education of her daughters, Lady Bertram paid not the slightest attention. She had not time for such cares. She was a woman who spent her days in sitting nicely dressed on a sofa, doing some long piece of needlework of little use and no beauty, thinking more of her pug than her children, but very indulgent to the latter, when it did not put herself to inconvenience. You know, it's interesting that you pick a quote to read about how Lady Bertram felt about her kids. I've got a quote here that tells about how her kids felt about Sir Thomas. Their father was no object of love to them. He had never seemed the friend of their pleasures, and his absence was unhappily most welcome. They were relieved by it from all restraint. (laughs) And boy, do they use that time. (laughs) Jennifer, do you have something? I have one where Tom is trying to convince Edmund that the play is really a good idea. He uses the excuse that while their father is gone, he says, And as to my father's being absent, it is so far from an objection that I consider it rather as a motive. For the expectation of his return must be a very anxious period to my mother. And if we can be the means of amusing that anxiety and keeping up her spirits for the next few weeks, I shall think our time very well spent. (laughs) As he said this, each looked towards their mother. Lady Bertram sunk back in one corner of the sofa. The picture of health, wealth, ease, and tranquility was just falling into a gentle doze while Fanny was getting through the few difficulties of her work for her. (laughs) Very good. One of the characters that we didn't really get a chance to talk too much about, who I really enjoyed, was Dr. Grant. He's married to Mrs. Grant, who is the sister of Mary and Henry Crawford. And with Henry and Mary Crawford staying at the Grant house, this is how Dr. Grant felt about having visitors. A talking pretty young woman like Miss Crawford is always pleasant society to an indolent stay-at-home man. And Mr. Crawford's being a guest was an excuse for drinking claret every day. (laughs) You know, Mrs. Norris didn't like the Grants at all. They had, after all, taken over and moved into the parsonage when she had moved out. 
And throughout the novel, really, Aunt Norris and Dr. Grant are arguing over some of the changes that the Grants have made. Yes. I think they're natural enemies. They just hate each other. (laughs) Nobody cared for Aunt Norris, except Aunt Norris. Well, she's so stingy and thrifty, and he's so extravagant. That's part of the problem between them. She doesn't mind spending other people's money. Sir Thomas's money. (laughs) Sir Thomas's money, but when it comes down to her own, she's always poor. You know, there's actually a dirty joke in this novel. You know, I've heard that rumor, but I'd like to hear the joke. Well, Mary Crawford, Edmund, and Fanny are talking at dinner, and Edmund is asking her about someone in the Navy. And she talks about what she knows of admirals and so forth. And she said, certainly my home at my uncle's brought me acquainted with a circle of admirals. Of rears and vices, I saw enough. Now, do not be suspecting me of a pun, I entreat. I can't believe it. A dirty joke in Jane Austen. And it's on that joke. I think we're going to end our conversation today on the novel Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. Jennifer, Pat, I want to thank you both for coming in and having this conversation with me today. Thank you, Frank. Frank. It was fun. It was fun. Joining me now for endnotes on today's conversation is our researcher, Ted Schwartz. Thanks for coming in because I got to start right off. Dirty jokes in Jane Austen. Jane Austen was a wild woman. You're talking about somebody who was raised on books like Pamela that she adored, which is rather nasty and shocking in the day. So Jane Austen is raised on this kind of fantasy. She is a product of her time. These are rough times. We're talking the War of 1812. We're talking England and the United States at war. You have to remember, she was chronicling her family, and her family was at war. There were men who were in the Navy going over to the United States for the War of 1812. Well, that's right. In most of Jane Austen's novels, we get intimations of war. We have some military officers that come through and date some of the women. The war itself never actually appears in any of her novels. No, but the men at war become cruder, become rougher, or facing more things during the time she's writing this. Though it came out in 1814, she's writing this in 1812 and 1813. Ted, our readers consider this Jane Austen's darkest novel, perhaps her saddest novel. I know you disagree with that. I don't think she was writing a dark novel or a sad novel. Jane Austen is older now, and she's dealing with nieces who are falling in love, who are facing the same social strictures that she had watched hurt her sister and others that she knew. So as she writes about this, yes, it's darker because she has a more mature outlook. Well, Ted, we're seeing that maturity in her books, but I know you've been reading some collections of her letters. Did you see that maturity, that new complexity in any of her letters? Yes. Here's one letter to a niece who had fallen in love with a man who seemed perfect. And then suddenly the niece was having second thoughts. And the first thing Jane Austen wrote was, Your mistake has been one that thousands of women fall into. He was the first young man who attached himself to you. That was the charm, and most powerful it is. Among the multitudes, however, that make the same mistake with yourself, there can be few indeed who have so little reason to regret it. He's the perfect catch by the society standards with which she and Cassandra, her sister, were raised. However, the niece no longer really loves him. Jane Austen then says, if you no longer feel that way, you shouldn't be with him. And that's a radical change from the Jane Austen a few years earlier. Definitely, as you said, a more mature Jane Austen. Yes. Well, Ted, I know you want to get back to reading Jane Austen's letters. So we're going to end our conversation today on the novel Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. Thanks for coming in. You're welcome. I also want to thank our Novel Conversations readers today, Jennifer Weinbrecht and Pat Fernberg. I'm Frank Lavallo. You've been listening to Novel Conversations. Until next week, I hope you find yourself in a novel conversation. Novel Conversations is a production of the Front Porch People. Listen to more great conversations at thefrontporchpeople.com. Thank you. 
Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.